together You're walking or riding A long open road With your best friend driving Share from the heart And we'll all start vibing Hey old friends Welcome to On Guiding On Guiding is a podcast Dedicated to open-minded And open-hearted communication By sharing stories Through the lens of how we guide And are guided By internal and external forces on Guiding aims to awaken or reacquaint us with the guiding spirit inside ourselves. On this episode of On Guiding, we're joined by Jesse Danger. Jesse is the co-founder and team leader of The Movement Creative, a New York City-based organization that seeks to provide people of all ages, backgrounds, body types, and income levels with tools to make movement accessible and fun. As an individual, Jesse loves leaping into things. Following this passion has led him to see movement as a way to explore the world physically as well as interpersonally. He credits much of the insight that he's gained along his path to the novel moments provided by saying yes to these types of movement opportunities. On that note, let's jump right into our conversation. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Sam. How's it going? Um, it's going really well. Tell us. A little bit about what type of movement practice that you're a part of. Yeah, so I started training parkour, uh, I think, just about exactly 15 years ago. For the uninitiated, can you explain what parkour is? Parkour could simply be described as like urban obstacle coursing, and I think. For me, it's a lot like site-specific dance. Um, for some people, it's more like uh, concrete gymnastics. I've heard it described as um, sort of a like finding the most efficient line to get from point A to point B. Is that is that a definition that that fits into your mind? Some of the people who started training parkour in the beginning. Uh, wanted that that efficiency or that function and i think that really connected to me when i was a, a teenager um but in in practice i don't know if i'm often like mainlining across the city or anything like that i'm mostly exploring a space and seeing how it can empower me to to train what i want in movement so so i think more realistically parkour is uh a individualized personal site-specific movement practice and that would encapsulate you know everybody out there training parkour um that would that would be a good example because i think some people are training to be uh functionally capable some people are training to express themselves and uh right now for me one of the biggest reasons i train is to help with my mental health and uh and to connect with people and build community i've known you since about 2015 and um i i sought you out um or i should say like the the movement creative team out originally because i was working on a community building project um and and you seemed your, your group seemed to me to be like kind of exactly the the people that I, I was looking to connect with. Um, so you've been training personally for 15 years. How long have you been 
doing the, the movement creative thing? Um, so the movement creative has been around since uh, January 2011. So we're about to hit our 10 year anniversary. And I, I started, I started uh, teaching the, the season before then in, uh, I guess, fall of, of 2010. And I was really resistant to teaching. Um, I, I learned parkour in a very social, very open, very free space, mostly going to jams, meeting up with my friends and uh, training and, and trying to teach each other, trying to figure out things ourselves. And uh, that really connected to me. And I think most of the models that I saw for like how to turn a class or coaching into a business didn't really vibe with that environment. So I think it's been a long struggle to figure out how to, how to bring that environment to the, the forefront of what we do and make it make sense for it to be my career. Tell me a little bit about the history of, of how Movement Creative got started. In 2010, we started working with a school called Quest to Learn. They were working with Institute of, of Play. It's a little think tank attached to the school that helped all the teachers in the school make uh, game-based learning a critical part of their, their curriculum and development. So we came on as a boss level for that, which was like a semester-ending, really awesome experience. And we did it, uh, I would say, that first time just as parkour. But uh, moving forward, we wanted to make those experiences uh, special. So we, we made them project-based. We did uh, game design through, through movement games, game design through parkour. We did uh, playground design through parkour. We did storytelling through parkour. And I think that helped to show me all the, the versatility on it. And uh, we've, I guess we've mostly grown by word of mouth. We've developed uh, relationships with the Department of Transportation and Parks and Recreation to be able to come to their events and set up large pop-up parkour parks and explore those and, and teach people fun activities and, and movements that you can do in those spaces. Um, As I started attending more and more of your events, you know, I, I really felt your guiding energy in that space, you know, in both the space of community building um, and also just in the space of, of movement practice. The word guiding or being a guide, does that resonate with what you think you do? I feel like guide is a very good uh, explanation of what I do and what I think my, my job is. I mentioned the, the dance aspect and I think the dialogue around site specific dance uh, also meets a lot of parkour training. I see my environment as a teacher. And then if I see that as the primary teacher, then I'm going to an environment with students or even I'm creating an environment with the different activities that we do. And then from there, I'm helping to guide through that space. Since these places are effectively guides for the, the session, how do you find them? 
talk to me a little bit about how these things are sourced. I think about these critical ways that we can move. We can jump, crawl, uh, roll, run, climb, swing. And I want to make sure that, uh, that we can explore all of those. So we'll go to different spots and different spots are, uh, empower different movement opportunities. So across the city, um, in all, in all the boroughs we have, uh, we, we call them spots and they are, uh, they're found by people that are going out looking for, for spots. Maybe you drive past it on you know, like in a, in a bus or you're, you're biking and you see something interesting and then you you get a group of people to come out and explore it and you find out there's like all these possibilities. And if it's a, a really good spot, then it will get regular attention by movement practitioners. And if it's uh, not as good, it might get totally forgotten and not passed on. One of my favorite things to do is to wander around the city and see where scaffolding is intersecting with the, the fronts of, of buildings, maybe like loading docks and, and scaffolding and, like see how the, the city is changing or, or right now there are, there's lots of new construction, like there's new plazas being built and that can create whole new opportunities for, for movement, whole new spots. Um, I, I love those, those temporary ones just because I find it particularly motivational to know that this challenge that I see, this movement I, I want to try to do, I'm only going to have a limited amount of time to, to do it. Do you think that architects have designed spaces with this type of movement in mind? Lawrence Halperin designed uh, fountains, uh, kind of modernist fountains, and they're all around the country. There's, there were a couple that were taken down in New York, but there's like a really big one in Freeway Park in, in Seattle. There's one called, that we call Cat Fountain in Skyline park in Denver. Um, there's a couple down in DC and Lawrence Halperin's wife was a site specific dancer. He wanted to create, uh, spaces that felt natural, like felt like the, the same kind of majesty that you might get if you go out into nature and, uh, inspired and empowered people to, to move, to, to climb around on them. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really beautiful. It is indeed beautiful when we can open up to our physical environments and see the guiding spirits all around us. I loved hearing about how Jesse ended up in his teaching role at the Movement Creative. And as we continue to dive deeper into our conversation, I wanted to learn more about some of the internal guiding forces that Jesse feels as he motivates others along their journey. Yeah, I think, I think part of parkour for me is that, uh, that singular challenge that you're trying to, uh, accomplish or, or overcome. Um, I, I find it to be a very tangible way to work on confidence. Like, can I, or can I not do that thing? There is a line in the sand. You see this thing, you believe yourself to be capable of it. And then you have to work through like what it is inside of you. Um, that would allow you to be able to like un unlock this. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so glad that that's the, the terminology you're using because um, one of the things that I have been thinking a lot about and, and through the lens of my own personal journey with 
movement and parkour that I've thought about is the word access. And for me, after I started engaging with movement like this on a regular basis, the city really like opened up to me more, right? Instead of thinking like, okay, this is the sidewalk. This is the only surface that I can walk on in the city. You know, a, a railing that slants up 35 degrees that gets me to this other place then became something that was accessible to me. And because I was practicing um, this physical practice and I was training my balance, I was training these different things, the world sort of opened up and, and I had access to more things. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective of how, you know, this practice and this, you know, this play, this um, site-specific dance, how it um, unlocks the world in, in, from your perspective. Uh, that's such a, that's such a big question for me because I, I see, uh, see parkour as the key for my like physical liberation, but also my, my mental, my social, emotional liberation. It's been a really powerful journey for me to be on. And I, I, I believe the infinite is in everything and you can, you can find these, uh, find these answers in, in any mastery that you push yourself down. Um, but it, there are things here that feel particularly well suited to, to parkour. So when you're first training, you're learning how to, to vault and move over waist high uh, objects or jump across gaps and uh, and it's beautiful to see that time that you don't walk you know 30 feet down around something and walk 30 feet back because you can just go over this thing um, effortlessly that's like two and a half feet high and uh, and then I, I, I guess I wonder how often that happens on a metaphorical level as well that we go all the way around because we just don't see or know or feel comfortable going, going over, going past. Um, I think that opens up the, the, the physical world. There's this aspect of reach and escape. Um, I can look at any uh, building facade or uh, any area and say like, oh, like this is how I would get there or this is how I would get away from that. And that's really interesting. I think it's a, it's almost like a, a martial art as well. Like the, the art of the art of escape or the art of reaching. Um, and then mentally the whole process has been very liberating to me because, because uh, it made me my own gym teacher. I didn't really connect with team sports and I've, had trouble being in classes or learning from teachers. Um, parkour gave me permission to take on my own movement education. And that uh, the success in that gave me permission to take on my own general education. And I think that's been really powerful to me. So that, that also has helped me access like a whole new space. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I think that 
it's a great space to encounter the crossover between the mental and the physical. And I think that the more that we as individuals develop our skills in that sort of crossover threshold, the more liberated we can become as individuals. If you understand your physical capabilities, you know, wherever they happen to be, but you know, if you're exploring the limits of them, then the feeling of stuckness or the feeling of trappedness, you know, gets diminished because you have explored and understood your physical capabilities and the, um, the opportunities that quote unquote barriers or obstacles present. Does that make sense? So where that takes me, the obstacles as opportunities and the, uh, the idea of in, engaging with it in a, in a physical way, um, I think there's so much power in it being a, a physical metaphor. Um, I'm thinking specifically around confidence building, where in, in parkour, pretending to be confident or, uh, you know, or being overly confident, both of those things can end up being dangerous physically dangerous like it's important that you know exactly what you're capable of so you're you're honing in on what you're capable of versus like trying to project the infinite amount of confidence um and you want to be confident in in those capabilities you want to be able to test them and trust them and that's really important in order to perform uh consistently and safely throughout your practice you really want to know yourself i don't think you'll get that same level of of access without, without developing that tuning capacity of, of understanding what you are capable of and then figuring out how you can make yourself capable of more. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, personally, that's one of the places where I think having guides is so important um, because it, it is a very delicate space between okay, what are my capabilities actually? And what, what am I perhaps just not reaching yet because I'm afraid to like push myself that little extra bit farther. And, you know, like you said, there, there are some, some real risks in, in the parkour practice. Um, but you know, you're, you're in this very special role as a guide to kind of help people along that journey. And may, so, yeah, can you, can you share some of your experience of that or like some, some ways that you have developed your own personal skill as a guide in that space to, to kind of, you know, understand limitations, but not be entirely boxed in by them? When I started coaching, I was looking to be the kind of like Zen master that I wanted to train underneath. So I'd be spouting uh, esoteric ideas and, and constantly pushing people to figure out their own answers to problems. And I'd be, you know, presenting problems and, and, guiding people through those spaces. And I think 
since then I've realized that there are a lot of different learning environments. I try to split it up into four. Those are broken up into a simple and complex and uh, teacher directed and, and student directed. And um, those, those four are uh, drills, explorations, games, and challenges. I try to have a combination of those. I find that students usually resonate with, with two and, and find it particularly challenging to work on the other two. I think to support people to be healthy, well-rounded learners, uh, I imagine like, can you be dropped into any class and get the most value out of it? Can you be dropped onto any planet and figure out how to survive? Like that's, that's what I would love to come from participating in our, in our programming. So, so I try to balance those things when I'm creating the, the space that we're navigating through. One of the things that I've picked up on in our conversation is a couple of times sort of you've talked about the evolution of your personal uh, practice and also like the sort of the evolution of your guiding or, or teaching practice. Um, like where, where do you think you're headed in, in both of those realms in the future? So with my personal practice, the things I'm looking at and working on are uh, how I, how I feel about it. I want to feel very good about moving and, and integrate that with my life right now. I'm recovering from a surgery. I'm not allowed to, uh, have any physical activity. I'm allowed to walk and I want to use this time to try to sit with that and, and work on, uh, other ways of, of supporting my mental health. I think my antidepressant for a long time has been, uh, been movement and training. And I think that's also helped me with uh, anger and frustration and, and fear and, and, uh, and building relationships with people. So I want to work on doing all of those things outside of movement, see what movement can become if it's not, necessitated that 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 it handled those things for me um coaching and guiding uh i would like to mostly continue what i'm doing which i think is running uh you know, physically mentally socially accessible programming um financially accessible programming um, and i want to be running uh maybe a few times a year, some just real wild, like edge pushing stuff, getting people to fully confront their physical capabilities, uh, to do that on a team to really test people and, and to create that, um, super stressful and super challenging environment. Uh, and then support to navigate all the, the conversation around that to try to gain the most from it. So we've done a few different things uh, like this. Like once a year, we'll do a uh, misogi, which is 
trying to accomplish an impossible task. So like one, one year we did, uh, crawling across the, the Brooklyn bridge and, uh, this, this past year, 2019, we did, uh, the myth of Sisyphus, um, which was throwing a sandbag forwards and then you chose a movement. So I did, uh, rolls. We went across the, the Williamsburg bridge. So you throw the, uh, 60, 70 pound sandbag forwards. You do rolls and you throw. And when you reach it again, you throw it again. We went across the bridge that way. <laughs> for the first half, we could do it with, with teamwork and with talking, with camaraderie. And for the second half, you had to do it like in your own isolated um, experience. Um, we've done the, the crawl as well, where you, you bring a piece of chalk and every time you think of a reason to stop crawling, you have to write it down and then pass that reason. So you're like physically crossing your, uh, your excuses or your understanding. And I think both of those, like the, it's really hard to get to the point where an individual movement where like putting one hand or one foot forward becomes impossible. And, um, and in our experience of that, like people that chose to do the, the Masogi, like everybody was able to complete that crawl. And, uh, and that's a really powerful thing. I, I think it's one of these magic tricks and, and parkour that you you do something that you didn't think you could do you've proven yourself more capable than you expected and uh the idea behind misogi is that it's this um it's this cleansing ritual um that it is proving to you that you're capable of the impossible Helping us to overcome the limits of what we think we are capable of as individuals is one of the fundamental elements of guiding work. Showing up and assisting others in this capacity, whether it's climbing a mountain, navigating a new relationship, or traversing a challenging emotional or mental landscape is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to each other. As we began to wind down our conversation, I asked Jesse to share one final method that he uses to unlock creative capacity. I mentioned earlier that parkour is like my permission for, for self education. Um, I got to see the, the challenges and the benefits of me going out and try to trying to teach myself something. And the, the empowerment that I've gotten from that has let me work on all sorts of things, give myself all sorts of challenges in, inside and outside of, of movement um, so my invitation is to see if you can really dial in on, uh, a problem or a challenge that you're facing, or maybe just something that you feel stuck around, or you think that you can't change and see if you can play the playful scientist and experimenter around that. My project in 2018 was K2 
can I wake up early and happy? And it felt totally insurmountable. I was often not waking up early and I was often not waking up happy. And I just wondered what it would take to, to figure that out. I saw that some people could do it and, and I thought that it must be possible. So I read and I tried things and I changed that and, uh, it became a really fun, playful project. So I, I love this idea of the playful scientist. Um, and I think that that's a great sort of like guiding spirit to have within ourselves. Can, can you speak to a little bit about like, t- tell, tell me more about your playful scientist. What, what is that, that guide like? My, my playful scientist is the, the mad monkey in my head that says like, Hey, what about this? That's like always curious and has another idea and is, uh, fun and, and, and playful about it. Um, and I feel like once I let him lead the show on, uh, on things and challenges that I was facing that, uh, even if what he came up with didn't work, it was, interesting and I learned something about it and uh and that took the pressure off of the whole process a little bit as well so I think I I really started that around uh when I was uh, 20 or so I started something called the, the change experiment and I would just try new things every month just to see what kind of changes they made in me so you know, I had heard from so many people that like you should get a, a square uh, eight hours of sleep every night. And I was going to bed whenever I wanted and wake, woke up whenever I wanted and trained whenever I wanted. And did, like I, I just was quote unquote doing whatever I wanted all the time. And uh, I just gave that a shot for a month. And I was like, wow, this like really regulated my energy and this really regulated my, my mood. And this is wild. Like, this was really helpful, but you know, it takes time to figure that out and like allowing myself to step back and watch the experience I was having instead of be constantly in it, um, to track the experience a little bit and to, to let myself be the, the, the lab rat of my own experiments was really powerful. Uh, the, The same thing happened with regular training. I would only train when I wanted to train and I was working fine. Um, but I realized if I didn't train for a few days then I didn't really want to train and then I wouldn't train and it would take me a while to get back into it. But if I trained at least every three days, then, uh, then I was wanting to train again. Like when I, when those, when that, when that time was up and I, I noticed that no, I had one session and it's my like, no matter what session. And that's still the, the Tuesday night sessions that we're, we're running at movement creative and we go out there no matter the weather. And it was so powerful to me to go out and not want to be there and not want to train and always feel better afterward. It demonstrated to me a, a deeper truth about myself than, than what I felt in that particular moment. Encountering these profound personal insights, digesting them, 
and sharing them out into the world is what On Guiding is all about. The more we see the guiding spirit in ourselves and others, the more resilient we become as we continue to evolve in our ever-entropic universe. Thank you for joining us on this episode of On Guiding. I look forward to seeing all of you playful scientists out there. As the host of On Guiding, I'm so grateful for the time and energy that our guests and team of collaborators offer to make this vision come to life. Special thanks to our executive producer, Julia Garofalo, and to our audio engineer and co-producer, Matt Einseidler. Most of this podcast is recorded at Sotvaland, an off-grid permaculture farm and retreat center in Belize. Original music for this podcast is recorded at Pineapple Hill Studios. If you have any thoughts or ideas about this project, please contact us at onguidingpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time. Many thanks. Much love.